Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Good morning, One Hope. We made it, right? We made it. I'm sorry that my homeland Canada took a vacation to the south this week, but we made it. We're going to warm up this week, and I'm so proud of you because um, not others, all southern people could make it, but you did it. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I got a quote for you. What do you think about this quote? Everyone wants to be great until it's time to do what greatness requires. Everyone wants to be great until it's that time where what it takes to be great, it requires something from us. What do you think? Does everyone want to actually be great? Is that a true statement? I'll be honest, I think there's something in us that, something maybe deep down, that there's a part of us, may not be like everything, but there's something in our life that we want to be great at. For some this morning, maybe you, you want to be a great mom or dad, a great grandparent and uncle. Maybe if you, you want to be a great, like, at your job, if you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're, 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 you're whatever in the community, you want to do great at your job. Maybe, maybe there's just one task at where you work, or there's a hobby that you have that you want to be great at. Maybe you just want to be a great human being. Like, I just want to be a great human being. I think every one of us has something in our life that we want to be great at. You know, I have moments in my life where I, I know that there's something in me, there's something going on inside where I want to be great at a season of life I am right now. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great pastor for you guys. Like, I want to be great at these things. But there's been some other things that I want to be great at growing up, and I don't know if you can think back to you growing up. There was something this week I was reminded that I was young, I wanted to be great at. And, 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 and some of my friends who know this, they, they harass me, they, they make fun of me for this, it is what it is. I'm, I'm going to add to that list this morning, because I know I'll hear about it, I'll get texts about it, it's alright. But when I was young, I wanted to be great at ping pong. All right? I want to be great. I would spend hours playing ping pong to be great. After school, I had someone, you might call him a coach, I had a coach come to me and we would do drills for hours on end. It's like, hit, I mean, I'm here. I'm here. I might as well be Forrest Gump. I'm just saying, I'm here. And I'm here. I'm, just, I'm getting, and then back, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I've got the spins. I mean, you don't want to play me in ping pong. It's like riding a bike for me, all right? Like, if you play ping pong, come at Pastor Scott, all right? Like, I'm, 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 I'm not going to lose. I wanted to be great at ping pong, and so I spent hours of what it would require for me to be dominant. One time, um, so Amber's mom bought a ping pong table for the kids when they were young and Jackson's like let's play ping pong I hadn't told him this side of me alright like like he already knows I'm awesome like I didn't want to be super awesome you know what I'm saying like so I hide some of them and he gets I guess the ball and I just bam like I'm just like and he looks at me I'm like there's some things you don't know about me you know what I'm saying like this is what we, so I wanted to be great at ping pong but I don't know what your thing is 
I don't know if you had a thing when you were a kid, if you got a thing right now, but l- most people want to be great at something. Now, I think something happens in life where the trials and the, you know, just the tough moments, sometimes it can beat that down in us, where really we end up just wanting to survive. But once again, I think there's something there, but we have to ask ourselves, what's the definition of greatness? What's the definition of grace? What does it take to be great? Or maybe i put it this way. What's the vehicle that we would take on the road to greatness? So this week, I begin to look up. I Google a little bit, and I'm like, okay, what do people say it takes to be great? So I read a bunch of articles, but a couple that stuck out, or a couple I've chose, um, an article in Time Magazine. This is their list of what it takes to be great. Be uncomfortable. Stop reading, start doing. Find your sweet spot. Commit to long term. Find a role model. Naps are steroids to the brain. This is the, this is the, the most amen I gave this article, right? Naps are steroids to the brain. Keep a notebook. Okay. I keep looking. Uh, uh, Indeed, you've heard of Indeed before? You know, Indeed said, be committed. Learn from the journey. Have fun along the way. Think positively. Change your perspective. Be honest with yourself. Take away distractions. Count on yourself. Keep planning. Avoid getting burned out. Listen, there are thousands, there are hundreds, there are thousands of articles you can read online of how to be great. And listen, there are things that we can learn from these articles if you find the right ones. Great advice, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. It seems that in every article that I read, there's something missing. Every article I read seemed like there was something that's something missing from what I would say is my value system in, in life. There's something that wasn't represented in any of these articles written by these authors. Here's what I mean. I, I look through Scripture, and I see greatness all through it. I look at the life of Jesus and things he talked about. I see greatness all through it. But I also see is that there's a big difference in how we would achieve greatness as I look at the kingdom of God values and the kingdom of this earth value, and that is where my problem is. If I want to be great on this earth, I have a decision that I need to make. Which roadmap am I going to take to achieve the greatness that I'm supposed to achieve. Which roadmap am I going to choose on this earth to get to the place that my heart desires to be great? See, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know we've been talking about like finding anchors in life. And I think we all want this, right? Because I think all of us, we get weary. We, we try to avoid like the chaos and the complications of life. We like these anchors in life. The problem is, it can be hard deciding what these anchors should be. 
It can be hard to decide which anchors are the right anchors for my life because there's a lot of temptations at our fingertips. There's a lot of tempting ideas that come our way. And what can often happen is because of all the options, because of all the temptations, we don't know what decisions to make, and so we end up drifting in life. This has been the concept. We don't end up deciding what our anchors are going to be, so we drift. And as we drift, we find ourselves in places we never thought we'd be. We can find ourselves being lost. Have you ever felt lost in life before? You feel confused, even have regrets. Like, how did I get here? It's because you drifted. So I guess my goal this year is pretty simple. For these next several weeks, I'm just going to try to present to you potential anchors for your life. But in the end, I'll tell you, the choice is yours. In the end, the decision is in your hands. No one's going to force you to decide what your anchors are going to be. But my hope is in 2024, we're going to drift a little bit less because we make decisions about what we're anchored to, which brings us to our third anchor today. See, our first anchor was we're being anchored to God's word. Second anchor is we're anchored to the freedom we find in Christ. But our third anchor today goes back to what I started with. If it's true that there's a desire for greatness in our lives, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. How do I achieve greatness in the way the kingdom of God is set up? This has to be the question. Look at me. This has to be the question. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this has to be how you ask this question. How do I become great in how God set it up in his kingdom? The question can't be just how do I become great. The question has to be how do I become great in the, in the structure of how Jesus has called me to be great. And so today I'm going to start um, where we ended off last week. All right. I'm going to start um, where we ended off, but a part of the scripture that I didn't pull out because I want to save it for today. So we're going to go back to Galatians chapter 5, okay? If you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, it'll be on the screens. But if you've got your Bibles, phones, you want to follow along, go Galatians chapter 5, and it's verse 13 through 15. We're going to start where we ended last week. You ready? Let me read it to you. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. Okay, so you remember that part. If you're here last week, we talked about the freedom in Christ. That was last week. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Well, that was our conversation. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay, stop there. What I love about our Bible is that when you begin to spend time in it, and, and somebody who's never really read the Bible before, this may be foreign concept to you, but I'll tell you, the more you spend time in Scripture, what you'll see is that the struggles that the people had then the struggles that the church had then are often the same struggles we have 
today. If, if, if the first week, I think I said this, the first week in this series, I said, um, why did Paul have to make this statement? Why did Paul have to write these words to the church in his letter to them in Galatia? The reason is, is because Paul understands people. Paul understands the weakness of people. And how true is it that when freedom is talked about, when freedom is the desire... The end goal is so that we have something. We can do something, have something, say something. I mean, think about the idea of freedom. We talk about it. I want freedom so that I can have or do something. That's usually the conversation from when you're little to when you're an adult is I want freedom because of this. We end up being the center of the story. Well, the problem with that is Paul writes to the church because he knows their weaknesses, he understands people, he knows the temptations. He says, that's not how we're going to live our life. That's not how we're going to do things. To follow Jesus means we're going to do things a little bit differently. That Jesus did come to bring freedom, but how that freedom is used is going to put other people at the center of the story. So he says this to the church in, uh, the, in this letter, the Galatians letter that he wrote. He says it to the church, but let me tell you something. Paul isn't making this up. Paul's not going, hey, I've got an idea, and I want you to know what this idea is. I get this idea of, like, don't indulge the flesh, but instead serve humbly, loving one another. That's a good concept. Paul is not making this up. All he's doing is following the, 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 the guidance and the life that he saw and heard about that Jesus lived. See, Jesus had this exact same idea, and he had to implement it into the life of the disciples. He had this exact same idea of how life should be lived, and sometimes it was really hard to implement into the disciples' life. Do you know why it was hard to instill in them? Because they're just like you, and they're just like me, that this doesn't come naturally. But there are moments in Jesus' life you see, oh, he's got to create this culture in his followers. We see this. If you want to go with me again, we're going to jump ahead now to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to go to Matthew. It's Matthew's gospel. He's recalling this story. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read 20 through 28. Jesus has to implement this culture that Paul talks about later. This is what he says. Can I read it again? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons. Okay, who are these sons? Do you know who, who would the sons be? James and John, okay? James and John. Sons of Zebedee. Son, uh, with her sons and kneeling down, ask and ask for a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and then the other sit on the left in your kingdom. You don't know why you're asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answer. So there's the sons. They're answering Jesus. We can. 
And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink um, from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have prepared by my Father. Now, when the ten heard about this, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And so Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become, well, there's our word, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What a sentence by Jesus. What a clear and concise sentence by Jesus. You want to be great? This is a desire that you have? You want to be somebody. You want to stand out. You want privilege. You want the, to be important on this. You want to be great? Well, there's a way you get there. See, what happened in this moment was the mom is doing what moms do. Moms love their kids, right? Moms do everything they can to help their kids get ahead. Moms, man, they'll fight for their kids. They'll fight somebody if their kids are threatened. I mean, sometimes in our house, it's like, oh, mama bear's coming out. I'm like, all right, I'm just, I'll back up because I may get the claws too. No, she, Amber would never be. But I'm like, mama bear's coming out because you don't mess with your kids, right? The mom is coming to Jesus and going, can you help establish their place? Can you help them so that they are successful in life? Can you get them to this? And what happens though? The other ten find out. And they do what you and I do when we find out someone else is trying to get ahead of us. And they are ticked. What makes you better than us? Why do you get that position? Why do you deserve that? Why would you ask to be somebody that is above me? You do this all the time. This happens in different places in life. If you have kids and you've been brought, if you're in the sports world at all, you've experienced this before. Parents are some of the worst in sports. My kids should be the shortstop. My kids should be the quarterback. My kids should be the point guard. And then when it happens, the other person is like, that kid's not better than my kid. How my kids should be this position. My kids should have this. We, we do this all through culture. Like, don't tell me we don't want to establish ourselves as being great. Don't tell me we don't fight for things. It's, it's something deep inside of us. How dare you get ahead of us? This is what is going on. And so let's go back to what Paul said a second ago. If you don't think he understands people, then you're missing something. What did he say? Use your freedom to serve each other in love. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. If you're going to go about this life, you guys are going to destroy each other. Jesus is telling his disciples this exact thing. 
So don't tell me, Paul doesn't know these stories. He's heard these stories. He knows stories just like this. That's why he has to tell the church those words. And that's why Jesus has to change the culture. If this is in us, this deep-rooted desire to be somebody, to have greatness, to stand out, Jesus has to build a different culture. So once again, he says, Jesus called them together. Come on, boys. Come on, we got to have a talk. You know the rulers of the Gentiles? Well, they lorded over people. And their high officials, they lord their power over people. But not so with you. Powerful sentence, not so with you. I know that's what you see around you, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. That's what they do. This is not what we do. Jesus, in a clear and concise way, Jesus gives the roadmap to greatness that is different. And he says, if you want to be great, serve those around you. If you want to be great, you need to serve those around you. Stop fighting with each other and serve. Stop trying to decide who is best and serve. Stop trying to climb the ladder the way the standards of the culture tell you to climb the ladder and serve. But Jesus isn't done. He eventually drops the line that's one of those like you hate it in life where it's like you drop a line that you just can't argue with. You drop a line that's like I've got no comeback. Jesus says just as. Right after this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You have no choice. Picture him just looking them in the eyes. He's trying to culture shape. He's trying to give the life to be lived. He's looking at them. You have no choice. You have to come and do the same thing that I came to do. You have to live the life that I am living. You call yourself a follower of me. You have to live life the way I live. There is no choice. What's that moment like when there's no comebacks needed? There's probably no clarifying questions needed because Jesus made it so clear. Do you ever get annoyed when someone sets expectations for you that they're not willing to do themselves? Think about, have you ever experienced before a boss that has set expectations for you that they are not willing to follow themselves? What's that feel like? Have you ever had a friend tell you how you should live your life, maybe post something on their social media of how people should live their life, and you look at their life and you're like, bro, come on. Like, come on. Let's just, like, seriously? Like, is there a mirror in your house? Like, you're telling me how to live. Isn't that annoying when someone says something and has expectations for you, yet they don't live it out? 
one of the amazing things, just one of my favorite things about Jesus, is he says, this is how we are going to live. And there's almost like a capital W and a capital E. This is how we are going to live. And then he begins to live it out through his life where they can't make an argument. Jesus said to do this, look at him go. Even to the, I mean, you look at the, maybe one of the last stories. 24 hours before, in, in the last 24 hours, he's about to be arrested. And he, he has a last meal with them. He sits with them. He has conversations with them. And last meals are important. Last anything is important, right? When you're in the last of something, you want to think about the things that you're like, okay, if, if they forget everything else I'm going to say, i got to make sure I say this, right? Like, like, any circumstance where it's the last, you begin to think, okay, I need to make sure this is not forgotten. Okay. Jesus has his last meal. At this last meal, is gonna, Judas is going to get up and leave. He's going to betray him. At this last meal, Jesus is going to tease them as and give a teaser about what's about to come with his death and resurrection. But in John chapter 13, a famous moment happens. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath don't need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash others' feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Because very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This moment is talked a lot about. I talk about this moment a lot. I feel like I need to talk about this moment once a year, at least once every two years. I come back to this moment a lot in Scripture. Peter doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet because his understanding is, is this is dishonoring. His understanding is this is beneath him. His understanding is this is undignified for him to do it for Peter. But Jesus, he's got to reinforce what he's already told them. 
in Jesus washing Peter's feet, he's cementing, hopefully cementing, what he's already told them before. The conversation we've already read. Like, I feel like he's looking at Peter and go, this is what your life is supposed to look like. And I know it's not natural to you. And I know it's not what culture says you should do. And I know it feels like you're taking a step back. I get it. I know this doesn't feel right. But trust me, this is where greatness is found. Peter has to let Jesus wash his feet before he can wash other people's feet. Peter has to let his leader chart the course so that he can follow him with his life. And I think in this moment, something changes for Peter. Now, he's not going to be perfect. There's going to be other lessons to be learned, but I got to believe something turned in him in this moment. But this moment wasn't the end either. This is not the last time that Jesus will wash Peter's feet. The ultimate place where Jesus washes feet is on that cross, that death moment is where the washing of the feet becomes like the biggest example the biggest moment but can i tell you this death this washing feet moment this death it didn't just change the eternity for someone like peter it changes how he would live the next day Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate washing feet moment, but it it didn't just change his eternity. It changed how he would walk through every single day. And what I think, if I was giving in context with this series, I would say what Jesus was doing was Jesus was giving Peter another anchor. I think he was giving Peter something that was going to ground him in life. He was giving Peter something that would not let him drift in life of how he should live. This third anchor in this series is simply this. We need to be anchored to a lifestyle of servanthood through washing other people's feet. This third anchor in our life is that we need to be anchored to a lifestyle, which means it's consistent, it's daily, it's who we are. A lifestyle of servanthood through washing people's feet. You know why I think that is? Is I think when we wash people's feet, it reinforces a life of humility. And I'll tell you, I think humility is one of the most underrated things for someone who follows Jesus. I think it's one of the most underrated qualities for someone who is going to be great as a person. You will not see, or I didn't see in any of the lists that I Googled where it was, this is how you should be great. Humility was not on this list, but I think it would be on every single one of Jesus' lists. This is the character of Jesus. 
And if we are going to live life as a follower, which means we mimic, we become like Jesus, humility has to be in our life. And it is hard to remain humble in a world that makes everything about you. So when we wash other people's feet in our life, when we put people first, when we fight for other people, when we, when, I mean, you can make the list of like, when we do things that put other people ahead of us, it reinforces the humility, the character of Christ that should be growing in us every single day. That we can't be a follower of Jesus and not have a growing humility in our everyday life. And our world is never going to push us towards humility. We will always drift away from it. If we don't intentionally decide that washing other people's feet, serving other people, is going to be our road to greatness. See, I think we're told a lie every day. That to be great, you have to be awesome. I mean, think about the people we think are great. It's they're the best athletes, they're the best singers, they're the best dancers, they're the best performers, the best actors, the be they're the best, whatever it is. They have risen to the top. Look at their greatness. But it's directly co correlated, directly connected to their talent. So what we get in our mind is, if I'm going to be great, I have to be awesome at something. And if I'm not awesome at something, then I can't be great. But Jesus never says this once. And what Jesus does is he pushes back against culture that tells us lies. Your greatness lies in your ability to be humble in serving other people the way Jesus did. And we need to get our definitions corrected. We need to allow the kingdom of God values to shape our definitions. This is why we need scripture, why we need the word to be our anchor, because it gives us our definition for greatness. The second thing is that allows people to see the character of Jesus through you. Why we need to watch for you? We need to allow the character of Jesus to be seen through. Now, if you don't have humility growing in you, if you don't have the character of Jesus in you, then it's off. Like, you got nothing to give. But as humility grows, the character of Jesus grows in us. People are able to see that in us. Washing people's feet is the greatest evangelism strategy we can ever come up with. Can I tell you, washing the feet of Jesus is a hundred times better than telling somebody why they are wrong so they need Jesus. Washing people's feet so they can see Jesus in you will allow them to see the greatness of Jesus a hundred times more than you saying you're a bad person, you need Jesus. Jesus walked around the earth and he was 
talking about God the Father, and he served other people, and people became more and more attracted to him. They began to follow him more and more. He didn't walk through going, you're bad, I'm good, now you need me. He says, God the Father loves you, and I want to serve you. I want to put you ahead. I want you to just see how valuable you are. Think about the life of Jesus. His servant nature, washing their feet, showed people God in a way maybe they had never seen before. And the movement of Christianity grew. We need to wash people's feet because that may be the way that they see Jesus' character, who he is. And maybe I believe that is how life can be changed. And then the third thing is it shows God he can trust you with his work on this earth. I think God wants to see if he can trust us. We want more and more and more. That's just how we're, we want more and more. But how can God trust us with more if we don't live out the kingdom values that he has called us to? I think we, throughout life, that God looks at us and says, can I trust that person with what I want to do, or can't I? It's just be very practical here. How can God give you more if he can't trust you with the person he is to represent him well? Represent him well at work? How can he elevate you and be a blessing? How can he bless you in that way if you don't use that blessing in a God-honoring way? We want more money. How can God, why would God give more money if he can't trust you with the more to use it in the way he has called you to use it? I look at life and go, God, I want you to be able to trust me. How I love people, how I serve people, how I put people ahead of me. I want you to trust me that I'm doing my best in my imperfect way, that I'm trying to live out my calling, who I'm supposed to be as a person in my Christ-likeness. God, you can trust me with this. I think that God looks and goes, can I trust you? Now, I just happen to believe there's a correlation of what God does in your life of how much he can trust you with it. It's not like an equation of like you do this and you get this. It's not like that, but there's a... there's. Think about if you were God, that's, that's tough. Would you trust somebody with more of what he wants to accomplish on this earth, earth if you're going to do it your own way versus his? So I literally pray this prayer. God, help me become the person that you can trust to continue what you want to do on this earth. Help me to become trustworthy. Here's the problem I see in myself when I'm living to indulge the flesh versus living in the spirit, is that I want to achieve greatness. And here's a stupid analogy. Can I give how my brain works here? This is my stupid analogy. That I think in my flesh, I want to go the journey of greatness in a Lamborghini, a Lambo. I want to look good. I want to be fast. I want to get there quickly. I want people to notice me. I want, to, I want to get to greatness in a Lambo when Jesus, I think, says, you're going to get there in a 94 Chevy. I mean, it's just how my brain works, all right? Where it's like it's not about being flashy. It's not about you. It's not even about pace. It's not, it's, you're, you drive this vehicle that the world says is not the best vehicle. 
It's not going to wow anybody. But you get there the way I've called you to get there, and that is to not look awesome, but to be my follower, and greatness will be achieved according to the measure and the definition that he is giving. Jesus was great, but he didn't do it the way people wanted him to do it. Jesus was great, but he was not doing it like a Lamborghini. He was doing it like a 94 Chevy. Nothing wrong with 94 Chevys, by the way. I don't know anything about trucks. Uh, you get me, right? That's how Jesus got there. How do you want to get to greatness? Here's my proposal today. Feed that desire for greatness in you. There's nothing wrong with it. I want to great things on this earth. There's no, But feed it with the character and heart that Jesus has called you to feed it with. That you wake up every day and say, Jesus says, greatness is achieved through serving. Greatness is achieved through washing feet. Greatness is achieved when it's not about you and you use that freedom he's given you to put other people first and then trust him with the results. Because your definition of greatness may not be his definition of greatness. And do you want your definition or do you want his definition? I want his definition of greatness on this earth. I've only got a certain amount of years to live in this earth. I want it to be the years and the accomplishments that he has for me versus me saying, that's what greatness looks like, and I'm running after that. So wake up tomorrow. And you make a decision. Jesus... I'm going to let you wash my feet. I'm going to receive your death and resurrection on the cross. I'm going to receive you giving your life to me. I'm going to receive the work that you did on this earth. I'm going to take it all. But then I'm going to walk out and I'm going to do the exact same thing you did for me. I'm going to do it for other people. Help me to have eyes to see where I can wash people's feet today. Help me have eyes to see where people need me to show them the character and the heart of Jesus. Help me push away my definition of greatness and live in the greatness you created me for. And help me to be okay with that. It's not natural. And it may feel like you're taking a step back never do when you do it the way Jesus has shown us and God has called us to. And so God in heaven, you sent Jesus to show us how to live. You sent Jesus to wash our feet through death and resurrection on the cross, God. And if there's anybody in this room or watching online that does not allow God to wash their feet through death and resurrection, may we not be like Peter and reject it, but may we hear Jesus say, no, you need it, and then we just open it, you can have all of it. God, help us to receive you being a servant to us and then help it change who we are. We want to walk this earth like Jesus did. And whatever greatness that means, we receive it because it would be your definition for our life. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you for having a purpose for us. Now, God, help us to find it in you. And it's your name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.